This episode is powered by Voxite.com. If you are a medium to large business looking for custom web design with personalized service, visit Voxite.com, bringing businesses and brands to life on the web. My online art portfolio, print shop, and this podcast website was all designed by Voxite, so head over and check them out at B-A-U-X-I-T-E.com. Hi guys, here we are with episode number five. I feel like it's a great first milestone for this podcast passion project. I'm a contemporary painter and this vision to interview inspiring people came from wanting to share my mission as an artist, both visually and now verbally. Everything I create begins with asking questions because I feel like this is the only way we can understand ourselves and each other and this world around us. So right now, I'm asking about your name over at kayamis.com slash name. Go ahead and head over there. Tell me who you were named after and also if you identify with your name. Your responses will actually become part of my new art series where I'm painting llama portraits, like the animal llamas. So go do that. I'm really excited to hear, you know, who you were named after and why you were named after what you were named after. Um, So yeah, get over there. In today's episode, we're asking what is wealth? And I have Dan Benson, my friend and financial advisor with me on the show. We talk about how to achieve, protect, and also give back with wealth. Um, I love his thoughts on defining wealth in our lives, keeping up with the Joneses, and then also coming to a place of compliment versus comparison. Plus, for all of those self-employed folks out there, like myself, I'm asking, um, how do we best build a retirement account without the traditional 401k benefits of being employed by a company? So it's all gold, and I know you're going to get a ton of value out of it. Go ahead and listen in, and then go back and listen to the past four episodes. And plus, hit subscribe now because you don't want to miss the amazing interviews we have being released this summer. There's really so much goodness and inspiration heading your way on the show, um, both today and what is to come. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and I can't wait to hear what you think. We are creatively tapping into philosophy. Okay, so here goes nothing. In a world where everyone (laughs) has a podcast. No, that is not the intro. I thought you wanted an intro that was dramatic. Go. From her art studios... (laughs) All right, this is Kristen Yamas coming to you from my art studio in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the Socratic Dialogues podcast. Hi, guys. I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Dan Benson, and today we're going to talk about wealth. Hi, Dan. Hey, everybody. (laughs) So Dan is actually the first male guest on the podcast. You should feel very privileged. I do. I originally wasn't sure if I was even going to have men on the podcast because um, Athena is the goddess of wisdom, and she's a female. So, so is this kind of like a, a setup? A should, I, should I feel nervous? Or is this a setup to sabotage me? Or? So, yes. Um, Dan is a financial <laughs> advisor and an executive vice president at Beacon Capital Management in Middle Tennessee. And I actually met Dan because I worked with the company for three years, and I got to be his assistant for a short period of time. <laughs> 
I was a terrible assistant. <laughs> no, I, I think we were a great team. We worked well off each other. That's because you it really didn't need an assistant. So I was just kind <laughs> of I did all the work and <laughs> gave you credit and it was great. Yeah, exactly. So I'll stick to the creative stuff now. But I did learn that Dan is great at what he does and your clients love you. So today we're going to talk about wealth and the financial side and also the philosophical side and i still come to you with all of my financial questions so that's kind of good to have you around for yeah but um and our families are good friends now which is nice our kids are actually here today so if we hear them popping in mm-hmm. that's um that could happen but speaking of like wealth and one of my very favorite topics, percentages, which I think you had to teach me how to do percentages. <laughs> because, you know, fifth grade math, I had long forgotten. Um, so I came up with a special like reference to art today because it has to do a little bit. There's percentages in it. Um, so I looked up, when I think of wealth, I think of this portrait. It's of Adele Block Bauer, and it's also called The Woman in Gold, and it's by Gustav Klimt. And... Okay. So it's like a female portrait and she's all gilded in gold. But the cool thing about this painting was it was actually stolen by the Nazis in 1941 and it was not ever returned to the family. And then for eight years, the family fought to get the painting back. And when they finally got it back, they even took it to the Supreme Court for like this whole case against getting this painting back. Um, They finally got it back in 2006 and that same year they sold it Hmm. so it was interesting because they sold the painting for 135 million dollars wow okay which at the time was a record price for a painting and the other interesting fact about that piece was when the family got that piece back they also got another portrait of adele and it was, um, that piece was sold the same year, but it was sold to Oprah Winfrey. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, awesome. And so in 2006, Oprah bought it, and it was for $87.9 million, And she had it for 10 years and sold it for $150 million. So Not a bad ROI. Do you know, do you know the percentage of the, like, the increased value? Can you figure that out in your head? Yeah, about 96%, maybe. Well, close. It was 71%. But. Yeah, okay. Not bad. I like my numbers better. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously like, really good at math. You're really so optimistic. That's why my clients love me. Well, you know, when you're 78, you turn it into 95, and all of hey. a sudden, everything's great. Yeah, if you can if you can increase the value, that's that's perfect. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, it's a really cool story, kind of. And Oprah loved the that painting that she bought so much that she was actually an anonymous bidder and she said I don't care how high it goes for this second piece and she um so she got it and she held on to it like anonymously and then they, they came out with a movie about this whole story with the family fighting for these pieces and all this stuff so it's a really cool kind of like um you know art history type yeah. of story Very but cool. anyway so I want to hear more about you so I always ask como te llamas and that's what is your name? And I want to know, like, do you relate to your name? Obviously, like, I call you Dan, but that's not your real name, your full right. name. So tell me who you were named after and what the story is behind it. So my full name is Daniel Peter James Benson. And I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to have been born with four names. I found out <laughs> later in life that is a name. extreme nuisance when it comes to signing documents, legal documents, because uh, not every 
document out there gives you the ability to put both middle names and so i'm daniel p benson daniel peter oh. daniel pj daniel peter james and so it's it's this massive headache really between having four names but um my first name daniel i was named after one of my dad's best friends his name was daniel and so that's where i got my first name uh peter was another good friend of his and james is my grandfather's name and so uh, all named after people that we knew or family members, but also all very biblical names. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I do relate to Daniel. I don't know of any other name that I would be called, although through my life I've had people call me a few choice names that I actually <laughs> do relate to from time to time. But um, not, not something me, I, of course. No, never you. <laughs> but uh, not something I want to be called on a, on a daily basis. And so... Uh, Dan or Daniel is really all I've ever been known by. Why do you um, go by Dan professionally? Like, why not Daniel? Is I, that a... I don't know if there's a super profound answer yeah. other than um, it's just shorter mm. and it's easier. And But I, when people call me, I'll answer the phone. I'll say, this is Daniel. And mm. clients are like, I thought you were Dan. But So it is kind of confusing. I may do that unintentionally. Um but I do prefer to go by Dan, as you well know, and have called me this many times when you've been angry at me. Uh, I do not prefer the name Danny, and not Danny for any and the Danny boy. Yeah, we don't want to get. Why not? There. Why do you hate Danny so much? I don't think so, I've ever asked. Okay, so I had a basketball coach when I was maybe eight or nine years old, and I was always known as Dan or Daniel. And for some reason, he felt like that he was going to call me Danny for the entire season. And it got under my skin so bad that he never actually called me by my name and a name that anybody else in my entire life has ever called me and chose to call me Danny that it just was like just annoying to me. And so I, I know people, their name's Danny. So if Danny, you're listening, basketball coach, um, you ruined yeah. his life. <laughs> I'm scarred forever <clears throat> with the name Danny. I don't have anything against the name. I just, mm-hmm. I don't relate to Danny as who I am. That's interesting. Nicknames are always a very interesting kind of part of this conversation for me because I always went like by the name Christy, and I've said this before, but when people started calling me Kristen, which is my actual name, it felt really uncomfortable, and I never kind of connected with it. Yeah. So, do you feel more like a Dan or Daniel, or does it not matter either way? <clears throat> I think it's. I relate to both. Okay. Neither one more than the other, but it is. It is strange, like for you, Christy and Kristen people listening are like well there's not that big of a difference but well yeah or relatability yeah Yeah, dan or danny it's like there's mm -hmm. not that different but it feels different yeah it does names have a weird like relationship to our feelings and our reaction to them yeah it's interesting Mm -hmm. um did your parents ever say why they gave you four names and couldn't maybe pick one middle name or have you ever talked to them about that you know uh (laughs) 36 years in i have never asked them (laughs) Why did you curse me with this? <laughs> so Which I, I, do I write? Interesting story. Um, and I guess I haven't minded it because it has created some stories along the way. But when I was in college, I had a history professor. And this is a guy, you have to know him. We never opened a book. We came in, we sat in our chair. He sat behind a desk, crossed his arms, leaned back, and he would just talk for an hour and a half mm. every day. You just had to take notes. And he knew this stuff back and forth. <clears throat> but the first day of class with with without missing a beat we're sitting there and he's going through the roll call and he's calling everybody by their full name for some reason it's just this guy was odd and without missing a beat he looks down he says daniel peter james benson what is that mexican no 
And I immediately go, no, sir, it's Canadian. <laughs> and the entire place just erupted. And anyway, I still can't live that down with all my friends from That's back funny. in college. And they're like, what are you, Mexicans? Like, no, I'm Canadian. They're like, I don't even know how you how you get Daniel Peter James and that mixed up. But, yeah. Um, anyway, just... Well, okay, Funny so story. that kind of leads us to the into the next question, which is like, how did you end up in Middle Tennessee? Because you are from Canada, and we joke about that a lot. I am. So um, I was born on Prince Edward Island. We lived there till I was seven. And uh, my father was a church planter and would start churches in different areas. And um, when we were younger, he actually got his master's degree in Boston, he was living in Canada, would drive down to Boston, worked all through the night, and then would drive back. And so oh, wow. uh, we knew that the United States was somewhere that we wanted to go. And so when the job opportunity came through, we moved from Canada down to Birmingham, Alabama, when I was <laughs> seven. Lived there for a year, moved up to Madison, Alabama for six or seven years. We've been in Nashville, moved up here for my mom's job, actually, oh, okay. um, at that point. And that's when my dad started the financial company in 1996. When we moved here to Middle Tennessee, been here ever since. Okay. Have you guys ever talked about moving different places, or was it just kind of like you really liked settling here? Because it's a big change from Canada or anywhere up north. Yeah, I mean, if you know anything about Canada, uh, I love Canada. I have all my family up there. Um, they have good health care. They have free health care. <laughs> Okay, they have free health care, for many people, is just, that's all they need. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I've had many family members that have gotten sick and have waited three months to actually see a doctor, so there's mm -hmm. some things to that whole piece, but, um, you know, the, the economy back in the 80s in Canada was not great. It wasn't bad, but it was much better here. And just for opportunities, as many people, uh, every one of us at some form or fashion has migrated here to the United States. Um, and our family saw an opportunity to hopefully just provide a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And um, so we moved here in Middle Tennessee in 96, and this is home. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. I have no desire to move anywhere else. Really? I hope that my kids stay here and our families get to grow here in Middle Tennessee as it has over the last 22 years. Mm -hmm. um, so no talks. Moved around a lot when I was young. I went to four different high schools. And so moving around, that's a big change. It, it's yeah. a it's How a lot that? to kind of, you know. I was always into sports, and so it was easy to kind of fall into a group pretty quickly when you have uh, a group of people like that. Um, but it's not something that I would want to continue to do or want my kids like. I, I want them to be able to grow up in an area where uh, they can have some stability with regards to friends and relationships mm -hmm. and. Um, I mean, you're here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I know you guys like to travel and go different places too, but mm -hmm. it's not a bad hub. Mm -hmm. It's a great little spot for families. Especially um, near Nashville. It's kind of like the big city feel, but then yeah. the small town. I mean, people yeah. complain about Nashville and traffic, and I get it, but mm -hmm. there's nowhere else in the world well, I'd you, rather be. Well, you live like <clears throat> six minutes from the office. <laughs> Just recently. Yeah, that's For true. 10 years, yeah. I you know, was an hour and a half away and, and made so, that commute. Back to like um, the whole moving around so you're really good I obviously I got to meet a lot of your clients and kind of see you interact with them you're a really good people person do you think that has anything to do with the fact that you had to move and make new friends a lot and stuff um it could be I think more than that is since I was a kid I've always had a heart to help people mm. um and so I don't know if I'm as great of a people person as much as I am um, wanting to help people and I think 
people sense that when somebody's genuine and um, so as as a kid actually my parents a lot of that I get from them and I had a few friends maybe acquaintances but people that I met in high school that had really hard times rough lives um, one of the guys actually here in Middle Tennessee his family was extremely wealthy um, and he just fell on some hard times and my parents uh, were willing to bring him into our house. He lived with us his entire senior year, graduated out that senior year, went on to go to Ole Miss, got his college degree, and was really on the brink of um, heading down a really dark path. Mm -hmm. And so my parents' willingness to, we actually had three different kids live with us at different really? periods That's cool. um, that they poured into. Uh, which they didn't have to, and I'm sure it was a massive mm -hmm. headache. I mean, just thinking back of how crazy we were, it was, um, you know, they, they were, mm -hmm. they had big hearts. And I think your parents take on a lot of, like, different people in all of their lives and concerns. They're good people. They And yeah. I wonder if that's where you get, like, your desire to help. It, I'm sure it is. What about I mean, your sisters? Do they Are they kind of the same? Like, just kind of really into their community and stuff, too? Yeah. Um, I wonder what carries through so I mean we're all it's always been a very loving and very close family because when we moved down here it was just us like we had no oh, yeah. we had no aunts no uncles no uh, nephews cousins grandparents everybody was in Canada mm -hmm. and so we became very close and um, you know my sister uh, Amanda probably one of the biggest hearts of anybody I've ever seen mm -hmm. in my entire life I mean talk about someone who would give everything and, and anything that she had uh, for other people I mean it's just amazing uh, and my other sister Ginger um, just her wisdom and her ability to relate and kind of talk people through things she's mm -hmm. a therapist um, oh, and so obviously that, yeah. relates into her career mm -hmm. uh, she was a teacher for many years and that path kind of led her into wanting to work with families mm -hmm. and kind of help families and so um, my other sister Amanda she's a teacher as well and so there's I don't know the Benson yeah. family just has something innate in us to want to help people it must be the Canada people. in you yeah it must, must be the Canadians we're so nice you're just always so we're nice we're so nice sorry, sorry. yeah sorry yeah sorry about that but you guys came down here I mean obviously you were a kid so you probably didn't like understand it but you know I've talked enough with like your dad and stuff to know you came down here with pretty much very little to start a life with so, I mean, that experience for them in that transition, your dad tells the story of you being a little kid, like looking out into the fair and saying it looks so fun over there, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. How did your family get into the financial, like, wealth, like, you know? So, um, we, we grew up with very little. Uh, we didn't know we had little um, mm -hmm. back then. You know, it's interesting today, the whole Joneses concept. Yeah. Um, you actually had to know the Joneses to know that you were missing out on anything. Oh, and, I like that. Yeah. You know, when we were young, we didn't have any of the technology around. And so all our neighbors were like us. And so mm -hmm. we were all the same. And there was, um, you know, you had to really search to find what you were missing out on in life. Um, and so we always had food. We always had clothes. They weren't always the nicest. I uh, didn't don't even remember a lot of what we ate. It wasn't very healthy compared to today's <laughs> standards. But we always, you know, never went hungry. Um, and so they just worked really hard. I mean, my mom's a great story of that. She did not go to college, uh, has a high school degree, and 
when we moved down to Alabama, she found a job as a part-time receptionist filling in at Bell South Mobility, the old mm. car phone company where they'd bolt it into your floorboard. Oh, and, yeah. I remember um, so, my dad had one of those. Yeah, yeah. It was like it $100 was like, a minute kind yeah, of thing. It was like you don't so, touch, it was like, for fancy. Ex- yeah, extreme emergencies. <laughs> and um, Anyway, so she worked her way from a part-time receptionist up to a regional director and really just you know, showed the value of hard work. And through that, um, her in her promotions, my dad was able to begin different businesses to try to find his niche. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, you're working very closely, uh, you know, faith and money have a very close connection. And so he's always talking to the churches about faith and finances and how mm. to be good stewards of money. And so you know, his background in some degree always related to money. And so I think it was just a natural transition. Uh, he started a company uh, that was dealing with helping protect people's estates and things like that. And that kind of naturally uh, started moving in towards the area of finance as well. And not just helping with estate protection, but also financial protection and stability mm-hmm. uh, and wealth and things of that too. Right. Uh, again, it's it's all a purpose of helping others, and this is mm-hmm. just a platform that um, was a good fit for him. And so he started the company about 22 years ago, and um, now we're here. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of cool because your dad's come full circle. He now has he started out in the church and then in planting churches, but then he <clears throat> went into the financial industry, and then now he speaks at these churches and kind of helps, you know instruct people or aid people and advise people and freely Mm -hmm. on how to be good stewards and you wrote a book yes you and your dad right talk about your book for a sec so uh the book we wrote um from financial failure to fitness uh is based on biblical principles all surrounding money and uh you know wealth is a relative uh statement you know Mm -hmm. we all look around and you, we all have a different opinion of what wealth means. Right. Well, um, like you said about growing up with not very much and then not knowing you didn't have very much. Yeah. Like your happiness did not relate to the net worth of your parents at the time. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, it, wealth to me, although we all relate wealth to money in some capacity, I think mm-hmm. that wealth has very little to do with money. Um, wealth is a state of mind. And if you look at statistics, uh, it says that if you make $35,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world in income. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you have a cell phone, chances are you're in the top 1% of the world as it relates to oh, income man. levels. man, I did not know that stat. That yeah. is crazy. And so, and that's just income. When it comes to wealth, yeah. if you have any money saved, $5, and you have a hobby, you're in the top 5% of the world, wealthiest people in the world, if you have those kind of resources. So that puts it into perspective because in America, we're kind of skewed a little on the 1%. Well, in in America (laughs) and also just in our community, Mm. right? We look around, you know, very limited scope of where we are and go, well, this person over here, their house is a little bigger than mine. They're wealthier than me. Um, And to me, wealth is more what we do with the resources that we've been provided. Um, To me, people can be rich and poor at the same time. Mm. If you have a lot of money and you're like Scrooge to a point where you're not willing to help others or give to others, and sometimes wealth isn't even money, it's time or knowledge. You know, Mm. if you're good at something, 
wanting to share that and pour into other people's. I think that creates wealth mm-hmm. to our lives and uh, a richness that money can never buy. Mm-hmm. And well, so, I mean, we know <clears throat> we've met over the years so many people who are super wealthy, and you've, I'm sure you see it with retirement age people. They've got this huge nest egg, but like if their children aren't talking to them and, you know, their kids are like hoping they'll die because they're just waiting for that money to be passed down to them. But I mean, that level of like miserable existence, is that really worth having this huge retirement account for? And how do we balance that in in our lifetime with also leaving a legacy to our kids? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because money is a necessity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously in my industry, um, I wouldn't have a job if there wasn't some degree of people that saved money. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's it's Zig Ziglar, who's famous for many things, has a quote. And he said, money isn't everything, but it's somewhere close to oxygen in the got to have it scale. Like it is a necessity. We do have to be able to earn and provide a living. Um, But if our life just surrounds going to work, making money, padding our bank accounts, and we're providing no value to anybody else in our life, whether it's a wife, whether it's kids, whether it's neighbors, Mm -hmm. whoever it is, that's where a wealth and richness uh, is created that has nothing to do with money. And so it's it's interesting to balance. Obviously my job relates all to money. And I'm, hel- I'm not helping people create a richness through their uh, giving their time. Mm-hmm. There's no real job for that in what my industry is. Um, but I do see the job that I have in helping people protect what they've worked hard for. Right. Um, what I get the most joy in is working with families that have worked hard and have saved money and they have more money than they may need for their lifetime and that they're wanting to... Um, serve others with that Mm -hmm. and that creates the most amount of joy and if you've ever known anybody who's like just the most extreme generous person whether it's with time uh, resources whatever it is those people are infectious Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a synergy that they give off that you want to be a part of and it's like man that person you know they've got something Right. And, you know, if you ever met somebody like that, it's like, gosh, you know, there's something about that person that's different. Mm-hmm. It's not money. It's never money. It's never, man, yeah. that person's so awesome. They have so much money in the bank. It's like, man, that's that person so is so awesome because, you know, you, you can't believe what they did for this person the other day. Look at or, how great their stuff is. It's never like that's fine on the surface. Right. But and I think I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that it's less about even what I make and create and do, more about how I make others feel yes. and what I give back and what I'm like like creating on the outside of me. So yeah. and people don't care. Like all it does really, once you have all of this amassed stuff, it creates maybe awe in your neighbors, but it creates a lot of jealousy and insecurity in the people who are experiencing it. So... I mean, that side of wealth, you know, are you really leaving or creating something good when you're making everyone around you, you know, when you are the Joneses, right? per, per se? <clears throat> yeah. But like the idea of getting to a point in your life where, say, you know, you don't help them earn all this money. Obviously, they've been doing that for their lifetime. They come to you with their savings and they say, okay, you know, how can I now make this at least keep it or grow it? And use what I can, but then also just like have it over time, like work 
for me or work for itself on its own, which is kind of a really cool element to wealth because it wealth is creating its own wealth, like financially. Right. Wealth is creating wealth. Yeah, and so. I mean, and, and pouring into other generations. And it's not about mm-hmm. just what you leave behind. Um, one of the things my parents have always done is um, they've been huge believers in pouring into us as kids and even as grown adults, mm-hmm. um, pouring into our lives. And uh, whether it's helping to create opportunities, it's not just about them because of their success to, you know, take everything they have. And if there's anything left over, you know, they're going to leave it behind. They're, mm-hmm. they're pouring into um, universities and churches and our families. And all that's doing in my eyes is they're planting seeds in every one of us kids and every one of the people that work in our office and all the people that come in contact with them. They see this mm-hmm. generosity and it's like, you know, I, I want to be able to do that one day. Mm-hmm. And to whatever degree it is, it doesn't matter how much we're able to to do or give or time or education or resources. It's um it's, it is infectious and in that the more you, you mentioned something, the more that you give to people and the joy that you see in them, the more joy you're able to give people, the more those people want to tell other people about you and the more joy. And so it becomes this, you know, you're spreading this um, wealth of uh, whether it's through art or information uh, to really provide some value in people's lives that they're going to remember and they're going to talk about more than, man, you know, Kristen and, and Al, you know, those guys, man, they really did well in life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we really want to be remembered by. Um, Nobody's going to remember a, that's that. That's a choice. But, <laughs> you know, and, and one of the other things you mentioned is, you know, the Joneses and thinking about people. One of the best quotes I've ever heard is, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And, man, if you just think about that... Um, gosh, how much time do we waste on negative energy thinking about all the things that we don't have rather than thinking about all the things that we do have mm-hmm. and how, you know, really blessed we all are to be here, to have the technology to do this podcast, <laughs> for people to be able to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, to me, when you just think about that stuff, the little stuff to mm-hmm. me is it's, it's huge sometimes. Well, in the stuff that we can freely give, like the friendships and the relationships and like you mentioned you know your your spouse and your family your kids and all that taking a second you know and actually like looking each other in the eye and saying you know that you are important to me and so all of that stuff that we give to our spouse that's all free like and to strangers on the street you know or the bank teller i always say this like you go you know you go through a drive-through or the bank teller or um at at one point i'm not sure if the statistic is still this but um, people who were like within the top percentage of um, suicide rates were toll booth workers and like hmm. think of how many times you go through a toll and you just like you know just like here you don't even like look at them and to just like take a second give them your money look at them and then say you know thanks I hope you have a great day that right there like they're in contact with so many people every day but how many of those people actually acknowledge them yeah. on the other side? They're transactional humans yes. to it, you know, yes. which is, is sad. And I, is I can sad. see that. But I think we treat lots of people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times in our day would we run into somebody that if we just took a second to slow down and pause and be in our environment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that Mandy and I, my wife, try to do pretty consistently is our life is chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. We are on the go all the time, whether it's with work or right, I'm leaving soon, I've got a, a conference I've got to go and speak at, and family, and our relationship, and our friends, and 
um, you know, I, there's there's chaos all around us. And one thing that we always, from time to time, we'll look at each other and we go, we just want to be present. Somehow in this in this storm of life, we just want to find whatever situation we're in, let everything else go and just be purely present with the mm-hmm. people that you're around, whether it's just me and her or just us and the kids or us and you guys, um, friendships. is just mm-hmm. try to let all those other things aside and just yeah. be present because it's life short. So you do a really good job with this, like the whole balance between the financial side and the, the family and friends and all that kind of side. Um, how do we, because it seems like there's been a shift, but it's almost like in an extremist way, like everybody now is wanting to be self-employed. Everybody now is going off and finding themselves. How do we balance it? Like, and I know, because I could not survive the cubicle life. I mean, you, you saw me. I was like withering and it was just like so hard. As much fun as I had, I love your family, working at the company and everything. But I just, it just was one of those things that was hard for me to handle. So I needed to find a way to balance. Um, but then on the flip side of it, you lose things like a 401k and all of the financial benefits to being in a company that is supporting your then you'll then retire from. So mm-hmm. how do, how can we balance that in this now new generation where everyone is like an Instagram influencer or whatever? What what do we really need to like survive in our old age really? Because eventually we're all going to be older and not be able to, you know, travel the world and take pictures maybe. So um <laughs> You know, the, the technology has created the wave of entrepreneurship. It's To me, in my eyes, if it wasn't for the advancements in technology, we wouldn't have this. The Instagram, mm-hmm. the people that are Dan TDM making millions of dollars on <laughs> YouTube off my son, who was like, wants to be a YouTuber the rest of his life. Yes. You know? Oh, my goodness. At the kids' school, they put up, like, what do you want to be when you're older yeah. in the halls? Yeah. Like... 50% of these kids are saying, I want to be a professional YouTuber or like something yeah. that you're looking at and you're like, that's so awesome. But how do we make that last? You know, I mean, it's so the, we're the in a weird time. Convenience has value. And when you work for a corporation, all those benefits are just there. Mm-hmm. It's a menu option. What do you want to pick? And it's like, it's all here. You're selecting this 401k, these health benefits. And so somebody along the way took risks, started on their own and built something big enough to be able to provide that for people. But when we work for a corporation, we just take for granted these are options and we go, I want to do this and this and this. And then somebody goes and does it for us. When we're working for ourselves, time is a commodity and it's one that we don't think we have enough of and most of us don't Mm -hmm. and so we don't spend time on figuring out how to go create my own 401k or benefits package and it's it's actually very simple there's a lot of great resources out there Uh, for someone who's self-employed there's a investment called a solo 401k that allows you can do Roth money regardless mm-hmm. of income. So you can do build some tax free income mm-hmm. um, or regular and there's no expense to it. Mm-hmm. And so as a self-employed individual, the problem is you have to go find the person that and be willing to spend the time to say, hey, I want this, have them set it up. And then the other part that's difficult is you have to set up money coming out of your own paycheck going into these things. Mm-hmm. And with a corporation, you know, a lot of the, the employees and people that I run into in different jobs, you know, I ask them, especially in my job, you know, how much money do you make? And they go, well, 
you know, I may make uh, $50,000 a year. And I'm like, well, is that what you bring home or is that what you earn? And they're like, well, no, that's what hits my bank account. Right. Well, in total benefits and 401k and everything else, they could be making 120000 a year. Right. And we take that for granted yes. because all we see is what I make is what I get to spend. And that mm-hmm. is not the way that it is. So there are great, great ways to put money away for uh, entrepreneurs. It's not difficult. There's no expense to it. You could literally set it up for really free. really just takes discipline then. It's... Discipline and willingness to do it. Uh, how yeah. bad do you want it? And, and thinking of that, because I don't think it's necessarily being taught in school. And right. I think a lot of us, and I don't know, maybe we'll become better as parents or the next generation. Who knows? Maybe we all need to fall on hard times before we start you know, teaching our kids this. Your dad, for instance, was the one who who helped me get life insurance. I never, I'm like, oh no, I'm young. You know, I, I always think I'm still in my twenties, even though I'm not. <laughs> You're not, by the way, <laughs> just, just for the record, in I case know, anybody was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I do have three kids. Like, you know, I think, okay, if I die, no big deal. I lived a great life, whatever. You know, hopefully what I've done in this lifetime has been great, but I'm leaving three kids behind. And it took, I didn't learn it in school. I didn't learn it from my own parents. It took your dad to make me realize. And he's like, I mean, I think we pay like $20 a month, something stupidly small that if we, my husband and I die before, you know, our kids are old enough to take care of themselves, you know, they'll get a million dollars, like, or whoever is the care caregiver of them when we die, you know, they get a million dollars. That can get them, you know, their college tuition and everything, whatever. At least it's something. Right. Um, and I didn't realize how affordable that was. So that was interesting. And that to me, and it goes back on the whole like wealth being both financial and both like lifestyle. Yeah. That was such peace of mind. Yeah. When I came home and I said, Al, look, this is how much it would cost us. You know, because we were always self-employed. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is how much it will cost us to ensure that if you and I go to Europe and leave our kids behind and that plane goes down, they're gonna go to whomever and that person will have this amount of money to you know, put into their lives. Like it is dedicated to our kids. Right. That was such peace of mind. And stuff that I wasn't even thinking about. Yeah. Like it's sad. Well, and, and they don't teach it in school. Mm-hmm. Um, there are finance classes in college and I think some high schools are bringing it in. Um, how to handle money is is incredibly important and I think it's something that all of us for the most part even myself with a father who's a financial guy mm-hmm. I had my own views on how money should be handled <laughs> and you know now I, I've I've become wiser and I realized that I should have been listening all along uh, the way knew. that he was giving him good <laughs> advice um, but there's not there, there aren't many people out there that's giving good advice and the other thing you know in my industry sometimes that's tainted is um, you hear a lot about the bad financial advisors Mm. Um, very rarely have you ever turned on the tv and heard um, hey these guys over here at xyz firm just help this family create stability through their financial future isn't that great nobody nobody wants to celebrate that they're like (laughs) man forget those guys you know i'm over here so you know, mm-hmm. most of the news that we hear is negative, and mm-hmm. so we just don't um, get that positive nature. But there are a lot of good firms out there to help give good advice that are honest, that work hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us in our own right is perfect, and so people are going to make mistakes. But those mm-hmm. that are willing to own up to it 
and walk a path with you and really show you options. There's a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays it is nice and there's a new wave coming in the financial world where a lot of these transactional financial firms where they take your money, they put it in something, they get a big commission and uh, you know, there, there is a wave of a fiduciary act that's trying to eliminate that. And I think mm. that what that's going to do is weed out a lot of bad advisors. Oh, yeah. And only those that are already, it would be very difficult for anyone today to go and start their own financial firm because of all the regulation and oversight and just really? expense um, to, to run a financial firm. Mm-hmm. The ones that are doing good business, you're going to see these independent firms really thrive in some mm-hmm. of the bigger wirehouses. Um, there, we've already seen an exodus of about 20,000 financial advisors mm-hmm. just in 2018 that left the industry, not because they were tired, uh, but because they couldn't make it. So what what created this change in the regulations? Was there like a big event that took place? No, but you know, you think about what a fiduciary is. A fiduciary is somebody who has to act in your best interest first. Mm-hmm. So, which should be any human being, any that's human helping. being in, in <laughs> all transactions. <laughs> but you know, if you're a publicly traded company giving financial advice, if you're a publicly traded company, who's your number one person that you have to act oh, for the benefit yeah. of? You're looking out for yourself, stockholders, yeah. right? Shareholders. Mm-hmm. If you're a publicly traded company, the number one person that you're trying to provide value to is the shareholders. Mm-hmm. The people come second. And so many folks don't realize that I'm second in this transaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the financial world and industry finally got to the point where I think they just recognized the amount of wealth that was transferring with the boomers. It's Mm -hmm. the largest generation to retire. Uh, Not the largest generation. That's the gen... what is it, the Gen Xers or Gen X? The, the millennials? The millennials. Are they the biggest? 120 million oh, God, millennials, and there's 80 million <laughs> boomers. So the largest generation is is still uh, still out there. Uh, but I will say, I will put a plug in. A lot of our employees are millennials, and they're not all out there and worthless. It's just such a <laughs> large. It's such a large demographic that it's easy to pick out. But I mean, look yeah. back in every generation, there was a group of people that were worthless and they didn't do anything. But then there was a group that did, and you never. Well, and it's, if you look at it, I mean, obviously, you know, we're getting old, but (laughs) if you look at it, we're at a point where there is a shift in society and anytime, I mean, in the 1920s, the flappers were like, you know, it was like, oh my goodness, these scandalous women are out here dancing with their skirts shorter than, you know, their, their ankles or whatever. (laughs) Um, So there's always this fear of change that comes, you know, in the generation before. So I think... I mean, you and I, we obviously, we were raised without computers and saw computers come in. And look at how far it's come in that, in our one generation. So, I mean, my kids, for instance, are so much better at technology than I am. And they're like the oldest is 11 now. So, I I mean... Yeah, it's You're already seeing it. So, what does that world world look like? And with social media, on that whole point, too, social media is doing what looking at the Joneses, you know, the neighbor, right? like on a huge broad scale, these well, poor kids. Minute by minute. Yes, they're they being bombarded it. with like, oh my goodness, look at how pretty she is. Look at how much stuff she has. Look at how many followers she has. Right. Like things that should not matter and have no significant like real life value to them. Like a number of followers yeah. on Instagram. I mean, it's one of those things that it's just like, it's sad that those are the things that we are concerned about right now. Right. And and this 
poor generation. Like, I feel bad for the next generation. I don't know how my kids, that's why I'm moving to Colorado and just like taking them out of technology. I don't know how they're going to, they're going to deal with that because we don't know how to teach them how to deal with it. Yeah. And, and two points to, to kind of finish the last part, the fiduciary act just came through as a way that the government said, you need to act in the best interest of people. Mm -hmm. When it comes to money, I think that should be a no brainer. How do they, like, how do they measure that? Like who's doing what? Um, what do you mean who's doing what? Like so, how do they that like if you say well, you need to act in the best interest and that's what these little regulations So you can't are in place you for. can't sell a product to generate a big commission anymore. Okay. It's all going to be based on value and fees and for the services you provide. You okay. have to be able to prove that you're providing services and you can charge for that and it's more of an ongoing as long as you're providing services you're compensated mm -hmm. like anything else. As long as I have my cable bill, I have to pay my cable company. <laughs> and as long as they're giving me you know, as long as I get a TV show when I want it, then I'm getting mm -hmm. value for the okay. service I'm providing. Um, and so it's just a way that you've got to put their interest first. You can't put a commission in front of the client's best interest. So thankfully, okay. you know, we're seeing that wave. Um, as it relates to social media, you know, there's a couple of perspectives and I, I wish I could remember this better, but I heard somebody say all these different generations that we have and we're looking down on these other generation, we're going, man, these kids these days, <laughs> How many generations in a row have they said that? You know, for for years, every grandparent has looked at their grandkids <laughs> and gone, this world, I have no idea what we're going to come to. They're shaking their fists yeah. on the lawn. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, I get off my lawn. And we're still doing that 100 years we later. Mm -hmm. The environment mm -hmm. is different, right? right? And the situation and the technology is different, but the mentality is still the same. We get so ingrained in our ways that we're not willing to open up to some of these other things that right now we're looking at going, man, I just don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. Why are these kids worried about that? Mm -hmm. But if that's the wave that it's just the way that the world is, you know, my right. kids, they don't know any different. Right. They didn't know. And so as a parent, sometimes it's hard. You know, it's like when I grew up back in my day, well, I heard my parents say that too. Well, I walked uphill both ways, you know, you got to ride a bus, you know, like you don't know how good you have it. Now we're looking down at the, but, the environment changes and we become mm -hmm. victims of, of where we are and it's not their fault and it's not our fault. Right. And um, I think we've just got to somehow figure out a way to embrace the balance of, you know, changes that are happening around mm -hmm. us and but still sticking with our principles. Yeah. Uh, and it's not easy, but the reality is it has never been easy for any generation. Right. And I think we're all very similar in looking down at the generations to come and questioning mm -hmm. what is the world coming to uh, i think it's probably happened numerous times yeah over. i know because there's them poor millennials they're getting so much they get banged right up now. a little bit they you do. know and it's okay so how about this like the wealth of knowledge you know when we come in as parents and we have this wealth of knowledge how we present it to our children and the value of that as wealth yeah how we also say, okay, so if we're teaching you what, no matter your circumstances, where you live, what you do, if these are your, the virtues that you live by, yeah. then it shouldn't realistically make a difference. If you teach your kids, don't compare to, you know, we say the Joneses, mm -hmm. don't compare to the biggest follow following on Instagram. Don't compare to those people. It's the same principle in yeah. the end. And so, and if you raise them with that, type of mentality then no matter what they encounter right 
they should end up okay. You know, so, so should we as families, you, you go to any business, any established business, and they have what they call core values. Mm-hmm. And every company has core values. And this is what we stand for as a company. Yes. And anyone who's a part of this company is going to adhere to our core values. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder what kind of value it would provide if we did that as families. Oh, yeah. Like our, know, our own moral code. Why don't we have the Benson yeah. core values? Yeah. And if you're going to be a part of this family, this is what the Bensons stand for. Yes. And these are the things. And if you're not in, you know, then you got to make some changes in your life because mm-hmm. this is who we are. I love that. And we we kind of did that a little bit with our kids. And we have a little like sheet on our fridge. But one of the things we always say is like I, I use the name and I'm like, we say Yamas promise, like Yamas promise. We won't keep um, secrets. We'll only keep surprises from mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. And like, you know, Yamas promise. And then it's like Yamas don't. Yamas is right. don't lie, you know. Yeah. And if like at a young age, these kids are getting it in their heads. It's kind of just like this is just a rule of our family. It doesn't mean nobody around you is not gonna lie or not gonna right. be a certain way, but that kind of mentality too for them if they're ingrained with that. And so, how would that relate to wealth? Like, what could you say? What kind of moral code surrounding wealth? Like, obviously, it's not financial. It's the philosophical. Philosophical side, <laughs> philosophical side of wealth. So, what can we say to our kids for wealth? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the earlier part of the conversation where mm-hmm. wealth has more to do with what you give than what you what you have. Okay. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I do. I think that's interesting. My kids are in big trouble now because we're going to do these Benson core values, <laughs> and and I just I just fundamentally we're going to have you back for that, part two because I want to hear your, yeah, your values. Okay. Because I'm hard. The wheels are already turning, and I'm like, man, you know, these, you know, we really want to establish yeah. that. But you know, it it reminds me of my sister Amanda when she was teaching. She decided and had a, a passion for teaching in low income areas and. Um, man, I, the stories and just the heartbreak and how hard it was to not come home with your work and mm-hmm. some of these kids and DCS coming in and taking parents away and kids living with grandparents and, you know, they, they do these tell me about your family and my dad's in jail and, you know, it's really, really sad. And so one of the things that she did that I admire and it kind of has stuck with me is she has kind of a core values of in our classroom we are a family mm-hmm. and a family dot 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 and it says we'll respect each other we'll oh, and so yeah. her whole thing is i don't know anything about your own family life and where you come from and what kind of you know how your family treats you but mm-hmm. in this room we're at this is another this family. family and mm-hmm. this family does this and so you know when it comes to our kids i think we can teach that but i think it can come with anybody that we have any influence over uh, we need to be aware of what kind of um um, awareness we're giving to them about mm-hmm. core values of life and it has very little to do with money and those that have yeah. money that give lots of resources those are the people that become more well respected we know the big mm-hmm. names out there of all the wealthiest people in the world but the ones we remember the most are the ones that take that and use it for the good of others and I can tell you that you don't have to have 10 million dollars you don't have mm-hmm. to have a million dollars you don't have to have a hundred thousand dollars to change somebody's life and um, that's where a richness is provided in our lives that money and wealth will never buy right which you know is perfect because as you said like wealth you can't measure it by the you know your bank account it's really just you're looking at whatever it is you make and I mean it kind of goes back to like the whole 10% or 20% whatever it is that you give back 
of what you make. So $200 to one person, you know, would look different than $200 to another person, depending on what income they have. Yeah. And it's really just like, if you are willing to sacrifice some of what you've created financially for yourself to give back to others, what does that look like? And what kind of reward do you feel in giving that? And that's, I mean... That creates so much more joy and well, it's, a, it's the pricelessness, you know, yeah. of of joy mm-hmm. and um, well, even like your parents, they didn't have that much, and they were taking other kids in, right? So I mean, that the influence and and the just kind of the ripple effect of what they did for that one child that came into their home right. and the life that they led compared to the life that they could have led right. and the people they've affected years down the road all because even maybe if it was just a year of their life you know they were a senior in high school and they were really struggling and they just felt like they had a safe place to come home to yeah that's it and then they've now gone into the world with something much greater than they could have had if your parents had just given money to them yeah you know giving is is an addiction and it's not just the giving of money it's Mm -hmm. the giving of time it's it's a love you know it's a um a selflessness of giving up something for yourself for somebody else Mm -hmm. and um, you know wealth to me has a lot of different meanings but that's the one that really sticks out and in my own life I want to try to create in my kids and the people that I encounter um, just a joy to want them to want to go and help other people and I mean imagine if we all did that five people Mm -hmm. that you come in contact with you just did something totally out of your your comfort zone um, and the old paying it forward, like at, at a Starbucks line or, you know, a mm-hmm. drive through where you pay for the person. I don't know if you ever had that done for you yeah. before, but, um, man, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe right? this random person just did that. I mean, even for that one second, no yeah. matter what was going on in your life, if you were angry, the, you know, the world's coming down and all of a sudden somebody buys you a $5 mm-hmm. meal or a $2 coffee. And it's like, man, it just meant the world. Or even... And, like a compliment yeah so like my sister grace obviously you know grace right she's really good at no matter who she meets and i always think it in my head and i was just talking to caroline my other sister today about this she's really good at anyone she meets she's like she will almost be like in awe of their outfit or their beauty or their intelligence or whatever and she'll say it Mm -hmm. so I'm always like oh man and instead of being like jealous like I wish I could be like that instead of thinking that and being like oh she looks so good today I look like a mess and then it's (laughs) like you look so good today like put that out there and instead of in like putting it inward you've now put it out there and you've made that person feel better and that is the idea of wealth yeah. In, in a giving form. And that's free. Like right. It's so free. And it changes everything. Yeah. For that person. A compliment or mm-hmm. comparison. That's oh, the choice you that. have, right? I mean, you're, you're, yes. the, the nature is to compare, uh-huh. which immediately goes to this envy, which is the thief of right? joy, which we talked about. I mean, just, just yeah. if you could see your facial expression for people watching, when you were even talking about it, mm-hmm. you didn't look happy. 
right. you know, and, and that. And then when you were talking about Grace and, you know, the compliment that she was willing to give, there was a there was just this happiness in your mm-hmm. face. I mean, it really is. It's a compliment or comparison. What's oh, going to be our that. choice today? What are we going to do? Are we going to compare? Are we going to compliment? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, not in a weird way, you know, or an awkward <laughs> way uh, to give, you know, those kind of strange compliments. But, I mean, to somebody just random out of the norm that you see and it's like, you know, hey, well, because know, we all think whatever that, it may be. Because I, I don't know what it is inside us, but ingrained is like, it's this feeling of insecurity, I guess, that, you know, we kind of have. And maybe, you know what, maybe it's it's a kind of like a survival method, like that we feel like in order to, you know, I mean, it goes back to like even animals, like where they feel like they have to one up the other so that they can survive and get a mate and all this. Like we go into that mode. But the idea of of if you feel it, like shutting it down immediately instead of feeling it, give it. Like, right. you know, and say, yeah. oh, wow. Like, th- I would have never thought of that. Like, you know, like what you just said, compliment right. versus comparison. Like, yeah. that's perfect. Like, yeah, good job. Awesome. <laughs> Man, core values, compliments and comparisons. We got, we got Watch things. out, world. <laughs> Little nuggets. <laughs> Coming. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, okay, so the last thing I want to ask you about, and I kind of do this, of course, because of the art in my life and everything. Um, is there any, I talk about the fact that art is kind of like a reflection of you. And even if it's not like a painting or, you know, anything original, um, is there anything visual in your life or in your world that you look at per se that you feel like kind of it it represents you or is a part of you, or maybe it just makes you feel wealthy or good or happy, like in your own world? Hmm, man. Um, that's, that's a tough one because for me... Uh, I don't find myself as a very creative person. You know, I kind of struggle with that. Um, when it comes to, to Mandy, she's got this amazing visual mind and she can see things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to, to art and things of that nature, I, en- I enjoy it, but I almost don't know if I know how to really just let myself go to the point where I can really appreciate it to what it's really there for. Mm-hmm. I can look at something and go, oh, I like that or I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to really allow my mind to appreciate what I'm seeing, um, I don't know if there's anything, one thing in particular that's visual for me that I could say that um, provides any sense of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that more than anything, it's what I see around me in my environment, my friendships, my relationships, mm-hmm. my Um, clients at work and the value that I provide them those are visual to me and I Mm -hmm. I can see that Um, and so uh, as it relates to um, art I I like it and it's it's I don't know it's it's good it's just for me I I think the actions and being able to see the um, when you give something to see something back uh, yeah. That would be the visual around me that so I want to see. So you're like you're like into social practice art then, because <laughs> that's, that's like what the, it's called. That's like the engagement and interaction of yeah. people then, which is like I mean I'm just throwing that term on top of what it is, but but yeah that's awesome because that is I mean you might not think you're creative necessarily, but that is 
part of your life that is inspiring to you and it's what you're doing in others that kind of keeps you coming back and waking up every morning and saying I got this and I'm going to do this. So, you know, my art as I see it is the creation of these different financial plans and walking people down a journey. Like to me, that's my art. Okay. Yeah, you like You know, I'm the man and I sometimes call it that and I'm like, you know, when once we're done here, I'm going to take all this information and you know, I'm going to paint you the Mona Lisa mm. and that Mona Lisa is going to be this, you know, financial plan that's specifically catered to your goals and purpose mm-hmm. in life and helping you achieve those. Uh, to me, that's that's more of the art of what I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, even on the social aspect, um, I, I enjoy people. I like people, but I'm very much an introvert. And so by the really? nature of my business, I talk 10 hours a day. I never uh-huh. stop talking. I don't think that anybody would ever know that, but I'm, I'm like this closet introvert that, that just likes watching and listening and seeing. Um, and so, I, you know, I get a lot of joy in just looking around and seeing the value that's being provided to people and not necessarily having to be vocal about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more of the visual art in That might be why you're good at your job because a lot of conversation is the most important part is the listening aspect. Yeah. So, Could and be. if your clients feel like they can talk and yeah. you're doing good. I can talk in a meeting. Um, <laughs> you know, and I don't and I enjoy that. It's just, you know, when I'm done, it's it's interesting we'll come home and you know, Mandy's like, "How'd your day go?" and I, you know, I want to talk about it, so I'll talk a little bit about it, but you know, more than anything, sometimes, like, I just want to be present with her. I just want to sit. And it's not mm-hmm. about the words that we share. It's it's about a connection that you feel. And I think mm-hmm. that that's felt between a husband and a wife. Sometimes that's... Now, you have to talk to your spouse every now and then. Or, you know, things may not end this very well. This is coming from a guy. <laughs> I've learned some lessons along the way. A couple, couple scars and hard knocks. But, um, you know, sometimes it's it's not about what you mm-hmm. say. It, it is just about being purely present with mm-hmm. somebody and them knowing that you're right there and you're, you've got their back. And mm-hmm. um, that's with kids. That's with friends. That's with clients. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, I don't know, a peace that I get when it just comes to sitting and being yeah. quiet and being present and watching and listening and... Uh, so anyway, I guess that's that's my art is to yeah. be able to that's cool. um, visualize those things. I love it. Well, thank you, Dan, <laughs> for joining me. Thank you tonight. for having me. First first male on the show. First male. And now we're gonna. I hope to be back one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come up with those core values. Core values and number then we'll talk two. About family. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, let's cook some food and have some dinner. And sounds good. Oh yes, so many great little gems came from talking with Dan about wealth. I really walk away with the focus of balancing family, friendship, and finances. It's a great reminder to focus on the lifestyle we want to create for ourselves, despite what those around us are doing, and that the value of our lives does not start or stop with our net worth or number of followers. There are studies that actually show those with quality relationships live longer. So if we need money to survive, we also need each other. And that is what I hope you will gain from every episode of the Socratic Dialogues podcast as we get to know each other and share our stories. Dan and I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode, so go ahead and reach out on Facebook or Instagram. I'm at Kayamis Art, and you'll also be able to get in touch with Dan and his wealth management firm, Beacon Capital Management, at beaconcm.com. 
So don't forget to subscribe to the Socratic Dialogues podcast on iTunes or Spotify. When you subscribe, you'll actually be notified when the next show is released. And our next episode on holiness is really interesting as we talk with Carrie Mills on a topic that's sometimes hard to navigate. As always, guys, thank you for listening. I've learned so much from these first five episodes. So I appreciate your following along with me. And I'm really excited about what is to come. If you have thoughts on topics or guests, just let me know. Don't forget to go to kayamis.com name to become part of my new art collection. And then in the meantime, I'll keep sending llama love your way from Nashville, Tennessee. Have an awesome week.